You're listening to Process with Broads and D-Ray. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the second episode of Process. The first episode went really well. We both appreciate all the support. If you didn't know, we will have episodes dropping on Monday and Thursday at 6 a.m. on all of the platforms. So with this specific episode... I don't know why I am so passionate about this. We will be talking about Jimmy Butler and what he said on J.J. Reddick's podcast. But before we do that, D-Ray, how are you today? I'm great, man. I'm great. I'm a little bummed that it's 70 degrees outside for the first time in a long time. and We can't go out and enjoy it, but like this this Jimmy Butler conversation, it, it had to be had. And that's the beauty. We got time to kind of catch up right now, so I'm excited for this. Yeah, I am too. So when it happened and when the news broke, it was the same day the Sixers had a game. And during that time was when the NBA shut down. So I was trying to find the right time to do this. Wow, COVID's going on. The NBA shut down. Sports are over. And the Sixers played a game against the Pistons, which I was in the building. And I'm not going to lie to you. It was a very awkward time because I felt like everybody knew something was up. But it was so hard to say, all right, you know what? This is a perfect time to talk about Jimmy Butler. There was so much going on in the world. Yeah, no, no, no. Like I said, we, we got this time to catch up on a lot of things. Obviously, if me and you would have started this at the, at the beginning of the season, you know, we would have been we would have been gotten to this. But now it, it kind of allows us to, to catch up on it. And let's be honest, as Philly fans, we're not really over the Jimmy Butler thing. We can't act like that's just completely behind us. Maybe at the start of next season. But I doubt that we don't we don't forget much. You're, you're not wrong. So with this, first off, real yeah. quick. Make sure you go follow us on Twitter, at Processed76ers. We have a giveaway going right now for some Allen Iverson socks. We have a bunch of videos that we put up there with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid highlights. So it's a really great Twitter page to to follow. So with that being said, last after, after last podcast, I sent you the link and said, we, we have to discuss this. And I wrote down quotes. I'm telling you, for some reason, I am so passionate about what Jimmy Butler said because how I process this is, Because a lot of people hate Brett Brown, and I need to let everybody know that I want to move on from Brett. I'm not this big-time Brett supporter. I'm just not an absolute hater to the point where I don't think he can coach at all. So with that being said, just because Jimmy Butler said some things, to me, that doesn't mean that he is automatically right just because he said it. This is a guy who has been known around the league as a problem to some degree. Mm -hmm. I... I so I'm I'm a Jimmy Butler fan. I'm also a Brett Brown fan. So I'm I'm kind of stuck. Um, I, I like what Brett has done. Like I said on the last show, he's got us, you know, out of the process. There's something to be said about that. I think he's a good coach. Obviously, anybody who's been around Greg Popovich for some time knows what they're doing to an extent. Uh, is he the right fit for this team? I don't know, and I don't make that decision. So it really don't matter. Like I said, we're just two guys here shooting the shit about some basketball. But I like him. But I also like Jimmy Butler, and I. I hate, I hate to say it, I completely understand what he was saying in certain parts of uh, his uh, episodes. Okay, well, how about this? We'll start with this quote, because this one stood out to me, and I think there is value in what he was saying, and I also looked at J.J. Redick. How was J.J. Redick not just answering or responding to what Jimmy said, but I looked at his body language. I looked at his facial expressions because there's a video element to his podcast as well. So Jimmy said, at any given day, me as a person, me as a player, I didn't know who the fuck was in charge. All right, now, 
I like how he keeps it real. To me, that is an organization problem. And JJ agreed with that and acknowledged that, yeah, there's a lot of voices inside that organization. Yeah, yeah. And that's the, I think that's the tricky part about the NBA. At the end of the day, I've always broke it down like this. If you're paying one guy $5 and you're paying another guy $100 and you tell the guy who has five, you're in charge of the guy with 100 and the guy who has 100 knows he's only getting five, like, it's going to create a problem. But the teams that seem to be successful, uh, Miami, which is also, he talked about it in that clip in question, uh, Spurs obviously continued success. The Warriors, you can't, you know, deny where Steve Kerr's position is with that team. Rather, he's a, a dominant leader or not, you have to admit that he is the leader of that team. And when he talks, they listen. So I can say, yes, too many hands being on the wheel with the Sixers, that's an issue. And like I said, I for that, I stand by Jimmy. I agree with that situation right there. Too many voices. That's from the top. But I question, what does that exactly mean? Is it Brett and Elton and Joshua Harris and other partners involved? What? Where is the line drawn? How many voices? Because if it was just Elton and Brett... Uh, to me, that's not too many voices. That's a general manager and a head coach. Now, I don't want Elton involved as much as maybe he might be in terms of voices, if, if that's the case. But if I hear too many voices, that's more than two. So where is the other voices coming from? Who is it? Who is speaking? Is it the trainer saying one thing? The medical staff is saying one thing? The, the head coach? I, I mean, where is the line drawn with this? How many voices could it possibly be? Yeah, I think he's talking about just them as a whole, you know, from the players in the locker room to like obviously what's going on in the front office. I think he's saying like just in general, there's not enough of a uh, direction. There's no one singular voice that, like I said before, when that person talks, nobody else is speaking. And I think that was his issue. Jimmy Butler doesn't strike me as someone who's irrational. Maybe a bit of a quick fuse, maybe a little testy at times, but he doesn't strike me as someone who's completely irrational. The issues in question, Minnesota, like he was on a team that in his mind was not trying to win. That was his issue. I'm trying to win. You guys aren't. You guys are okay with just collecting checks. And to be completely honest, as someone who's, you know, like when I was overseas, I ain't saying I was in the NBA, but I felt like that about some of my teammates. And that's an issue. If you're a competitor and you're trying to win and you feel like you're surrounded by people who are just okay with showing up and there's nothing wrong with showing up and playing basketball, but we're here to win. We get paid more to win. We like to win just as competitors. Like if there was no money on the line, I would still want to win. He strikes me as that type of guy. So to be in a situation where we can't even figure out how to get on the same page, that's a problem. I never thought of it as, when he said too many voices, honestly, I never thought of it as too many voices in the locker room as well. I looked at it more from an organizational standpoint. So, yeah, and, and I'm thinking, is it bad if Joel's saying one thing, Ben saying the next thing, Al Horford saying the next thing? It's very possible that there isn't one leader. Then, though, I can say this, and, and this is with all due respect to Jimmy Butler and everybody else, why wasn't it him? Why didn't he step up? Now, he mentioned a ton of times, I was new. I was new to the to the team. I didn't want to step in and be this guy because he knows the narrative behind him. He didn't want to spark that fuse so instantly. But why not him? The thing that bothers me about this podcast, too, is 
what do they expect to happen when they release this? JJ and Jimmy, they sit in the room. They're drinking wine. They're making jokes. You can see their facial expressions. They did this, not not because Philly would blow up, but they knew when they did this that it would totally reach Philadelphia Sports Radio and all of these markets. They did it knowing that they're kind of poking the bear. Yeah, yeah, they're competitors, and they're no longer on the team. It's like for them, it's just the chips fall where they make. That's not our problem. I, I think they did it tastefully, but I definitely know what you mean. Like, when they put this out there, it's like, ah, this is going to jam them up. And quite honestly, at the end of the day, Jimmy is still in Miami, so it's like, that's y'all problem. That's y'all probably one more reason I don't have to worry about y'all if y'all are fighting internally. Just the way JJ, though, was wording these questions, I, I just, I, I hated it. I'm not gonna lie, I hate it because I knew what he was trying to do. He wanted to get answers. He wanted to kind of poke at Jimmy Butler, say something, then allow Jimmy to open up his mouth and run with it, especially when he brought up Brett Brown. So, I, I don't know. I guess I, he does a podcast, and he's been doing a podcast for a long time. So it's not as if they have no platform, and he instantly thought, hey, let's just make Philadelphia pissed off. That's not the case. But while doing this, it's clear that they knew what they were doing at the same time, especially J.J., who has been here for multiple seasons, and he knows when things go bad and when things go wrong, this fan base is brutal. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to ask you this. Do you think it was that maniacal? Like, do you think it was, uh, well, okay, if it happens, it happens. Do you think this was a deliberate attack? I don't think it was definitely 100% an attack, but there's no way in hell that didn't cross their mind. There's no way in hell they didn't laugh about how much this would blow up in the Philadelphia market because it's so clear. And they're smart guys. We talk about it. I mean, Jimmy Butler, he's not irrational. He knows. And J.J. Reddick's a smart person as well. They know and they knew what they were doing. Not not that it's a, you know, a huge deal. But in the back of my mind, I think about it while listening that, come on now, fellas, come on. <laughs> now, Phil. I have an interesting thought on this whole film thing. It was brought up that there was a meeting. This was pre-Tobias Harris trade. So it was J.J. Redick, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid in the office with Brett Brown. And nothing was accomplished, according to Jimmy Butler. And all you could hear was the clicker. I want to know from your personal experience with Jay Wright or any other place that you played... Is it okay if film is silent and it's just, say, a coach speaking and there's not much interaction from the players watching? If it's just a coach speaking and that's how that coach goes about business, cool. I got to be honest with you. When I first heard this, I was like, Jimmy's an asshole. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? If, if it's just the coach talking, why would you think that a player has to speak up during film? Because at the end of the day, the coach's job is to break down film and show what's going on. Not every locker room is going to have a bunch of coaches, I mean, a bunch of players, excuse me, chiming in. But then I watched that clip. And like I said, I backed Jimmy on that one. What he was saying was they brought them into that meeting and they just hit the clicker several times and then they watched film and then they just went out on the floor. You got a new guy, Jimmy Butler, who he said at that point he was about two to three weeks in. And you got a young team already. J.J. Redick is a vet, but he's not the outright leader. So you're pretty much talking about Joel and uh, Ben Simmons. So the fact that you're just watching film, unless that shit was to prove a point, unless it was just like, I'm going to show y'all what this shit looked like. And I'm not going to say anything. I want y'all to see what this looks like. Outside of that, no. Hell no. 
Hell no. The idea of just talking to a team that young, a team that misguided, like he said, where you didn't know who was in charge and who wasn't, to just have them watch film and then go out on the floor and expect shit to get better? Hell no. That's the issue. If Brett did not say a damn word and all you did was watch clips, then I am on your side completely. I find that hard to believe that's exactly what went down. When he talks about the clicker going, clicker going, I think, because we don't know, because there's no context, but when I hear the clicker sound, I'm thinking, Brett is watching the film with them, he says something, nobody responds in terms of the players responding, click, goes to the next one. Then he shows a clip, he mentioned what you need to do here, ball handler this, set a screen here, Click. You hear that. And there's no one responding. I don't believe that you need to have a locker room or a handful of guys speaking during film. You, If, if Brett was speaking, we don't know. All he said was you heard the clicking sound. I find it hard to believe that because I've played hockey at a high level for a long time as well. I played in college. There were plenty of times where the coach doesn't allow people to speak. It's just them describing it. They go to the next play, the next clip, and then you go out on the ice and you perform what you needed to fix. If that's the case, I see no issue with that at all. You don't need to speak. Just because Jimmy believes you need to speak, that doesn't mean it's the only way that it's effective. Now, once again, if Brett didn't say a damn word, that's on him. But have you ever in your life experienced a coach that literally hit the play button and never said a word? And Brett has been around. Popovich, he's been around great coaches. You you learn from those coaches. So if he's doing that, guess what? That means Popovich does that, and he, he has no issue. <laughs> that's how it starts. That's how, that's how a story starts. <laughs> but no, I, I think, like, like we both said, if it was nothing, then yeah. But I am with you. Jimmy Butler does strike me as someone who's indifferent towards them. He's already made known that he's not exactly his biggest fan. So he probably did spice that story up a little bit. He probably did leave out a detail too. But if there was nothing and it wasn't to prove a point, because I'm not going to lie, I have had that happen. Not saying it's coach right, but I have had that happen. When that clip come up and you know it's a play of just complete debauchery, it looks like everybody just got hit with Space Jam juice and they just hit play, and the point of saying nothing is because it sinks in that much more. It's one thing to be like, what are y'all doing here? Or what the hell were you thinking on this play? It's another thing to know that fuck up is coming and for them to hit that space bar and that play, and you just got to sit there and just deal with it. That, that that hits different. It definitely does. See, I've, I've experienced a ton of film, some Bad plays. Normally my coaches do the bad plays. I never really had the coach that loved showing the great plays. Like, oh, this is what you should be doing. No, it's always the brutal plays. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. My number was called a couple times. What are you going to do, right? That's that's the part of sports. So he would play the clip. And then you say, Broach, where you at? And it's like, ah, damn it. You know, you're right. I'm right here, coach. And it's like, you got to do this. You got to do that. Okay. Then we move on and we do it. Like, I don't understand. It's not like there's th- basketball is different because it's a limited amount of players in the hockey locker room. There's close to 30. You got 20 plus. So it would be hard for 30 people to speak up on specific film plays. But that's never how it's been. It's hard for me to believe that there's these locker rooms where everyone's putting impact on every single play on every single clip. So if, if that is the case where Brett wasn't saying a word and just clicking through the plays, I got a problem with it. But I can't believe, and I won't believe unless it is told to me by Brett Brown himself, that he, he doesn't talk at all. It just it doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, that was that was odd. That was odd. Uh, yeah, ex- exactly. So the next part that Jimmy brought up, and, and this this pisses me off. 
This pisses me off. And once again, I am a Jimmy Butler guy. I love what Jimmy Butler brought to the table. I would love for him to be back. And I don't even want Brett Brown here. The point of me, not it, it sounds like I'm supporting Brett Brown. I'm not supporting Brett. I'm supporting any coach in this spot. It's not Brett. It, enter any coach here that's getting criticized, and I will defend him because it's... No, there's no reason to say Jimmy Butler is 100% right all the time. And this one, this one got me. Yeah, exactly. And this one got me the most. So it's been reported, and he even talked about it, how he talked to Brett Brown about wanting the ball in his hands more and maybe run into more pick and roll. He said it was unfair to Ben Simmons in the playoffs when Brett took the ball out of his hands. Shut the hell up. I mean, you're a joke. He he made an adjustment in a playoff series where the team was now better in that scenario, and you're complaining? You went into Brett's office. You talked to him about wanting the ball more. You talk about pick and rolls. He then does it, and now it's unfair to Ben Simmons? See, that's so ridiculous. That, that's being a hypocrite, in my opinion. And that's why I look at this scenario and I say, that's that's disgraceful to me. Yeah. The, the narrative on that is very important because the way Jimmy worded it was when we start the playoffs, all of a sudden we do this different scheme. And that was his narrative. His narrative was like you said, like we got to the playoffs, all of a sudden it's different. But if you don't know that he kind of asked for that earlier in the year, then you think Brett Brown's a complete bad guy and it doesn't make any sense. I got to be honest with you on Jimmy. I can't back him as much on that one. I can't back him as much because like you said, if you're asking for it, you're asking for it, you're asking for it. And then I give it to you. It might've not been when you wanted it, but at the end of the day, a coach's job is not to make sure that Jimmy Butler's okay or just Joel Embiid is okay or Ben Simmons. Okay. It's make sure the team is good. You know, how do I make sure the team is good? So for him to finally give that up and give him that position. And then it's just like, what are you doing? I didn't say now. It's just like, bro, you don't get to make that decision. You asked for it. You got it. I made an adjustment as a head coach that made us better. Nah, that that's that's out of pocket. But the way Jimmy worded it does make Brett Brown sound like an idiot. You know what I mean? And Jimmy even stated, even if it was better for the team, like that came out of his mouth as if that was better for the team. So how are you going to now knock a coach who made a decision in a playoff series? This isn't game 32 of the regular season where you can try something new and you can see if it works. This is the playoffs. And if you need to make an adjustment that completely changes your team from the regular season, you have to do it. I mean, that's the point of making the seven-game series, making adjustments and being able to try different things as a coach and when when it matters you have to be able to do it and he did it and it was beneficial to the team and now all of a sudden it's unfair that's the type of things that bother me if you are a Brett Brown <laughs> hater you instantly say ah see he's stupid and that's not the case to me I can't defend that narrative yeah no I can't get behind that at all it's that's that's ridiculous you asked for it you got it you didn't get it when you wanted it deal with it and now we hear that he called out TJ McConnell in film? Out of all people, TJ. Now, this this part cracked me up. He mentioned how he still talks with TJ, and him and TJ are boys. Think about TJ McConnell, all right? I love his effort, his grit, right? Can you imagine TJ McConnell and Jimmy Butler just being boys, walking around Miami, maybe getting some ice cream? Yeah, I mean, I just picture those two hanging out, walking the streets of Miami. I, what? It just it doesn't seem like those two would just be boys like that. Yeah, it sounds like a bad buddy cop film. Like it sounds like a, a real bad buddy cop film. Jimmy and T, uh, TJ. No, I I I heard that part of it. 
And I didn't like that. You don't call a guy out. If you feel a type of way and you want to say something cool, but that's a grown ass man. You don't need to voice something for him. And that's the part of Jimmy Butler. I feel like people, when you have accounts like that and they stack up, that's when people kind of get off board because for all the passion he brings, for all the fire that he brings, for we talked about it before, that energy, that spark that Philly needed, for all of that that he brings, when you do shit like that, it gets kind of hard to defend you. But I am. I'm sorry. I'm just not with that one. This is this is insane. It, it really is. To think about right now, we are sitting here talking about what Jimmy Butler says about the Sixers organization to J.J. Redick on the podcast. It, For three guys who aren't even Sixers anymore. Exactly. But you, you can say maybe that's good to get that type of insight from people who are no longer here. If they're here, you, you will now listen to it and you know, well, they're not going to say anything bad about these people because they're involved with them. They need to see them every day they go into the Camden facility. They have to see them every single day when they go to practice. So they can't bash them. Now that you take a few steps back and you see players who are no longer here, you see that, okay, there are some problems. And I'm not denying that there's issues inside the Sixers locker room or the organization. It's obvious. I I think it's pretty damn clear. I'm not dumb. I see and I value what Jimmy Butler is saying. But I can't say that everything out of his mouth is 100% true. This guy, seriously, and I love Jimmy. I need to keep making sure people understand. I love Jimmy Butler. But he was a problem in Chicago. He was a problem in Minnesota. I don't know if he was that much of a problem here in Philly, to be honest with you. I don't. But he has a track record of not being the best teammate in the world, and that can't be thrown under the table. All right, I'm going to defend him on this one. Chicago, I feel like Chicago was one of those situations where it was a dumpster fire. And obviously, yes, he has a track record, but he got caught in the mix. But Minnesota, I feel like he did exactly what was needed. Maybe didn't go about it the right way, but at the end of the day, his point was to expose that the guys who you are not only paying the most money to, but giving the most minutes to, these guys don't give a shit about moving us forward. And that was the whole thing. You heard about the practice where he says, I'm going to go on the second team and they're going to play against the starters. And he beat them and was barking. His delivery sucks. He is Kanye level bad when it comes to his. Hey, 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 hey. I love Ye. I love Ye. <laughs> no, no, I love Ye too. Okay. I'm just saying his delivery. He, he even says it. He says it in the song. Um, Damn, what's the song? Never, uh, wouldn't leave on Ye. You know, on, I said on Ye. On, uh, what's the one that the, the, the album cover is? The, what is I it? hate being. Yeah, yeah. It, it has yeah. the mountains on it, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He says it on one of the songs. He's like, his delivery is terrible. Jimmy Butler's delivery is terrible. The way he went about that, terrible. But he had a point. And it's my same thing with this. It's like, at the end of the day, what he is saying is, there is no direction here. Now, as Jimmy Butler, 30 years old, do you pull somebody behind the, you know, behind the scenes and talk to them about it? Cool. Do you pull a, a maybe a, a team meeting before you do that? Cool. And if he did that, hats off to him. But yeah, his delivery on that sucks. But I I have to admit that I'm kind of rooting for the guy who says, no, this is bullshit. And all of y'all are acting like it's okay. But he does have a track record and he's human. Like I said, I'm not going to sit here and act like Jimmy Butler can do no wrong. Jimmy Butler is probably an asshole. I'm not saying that. Sometimes you need an asshole. You know what I mean? Like you've heard um, Paul George say that Russell Westbrook is an asshole. But he'll go to bat for you. That's why they like playing with him. Some people. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, he's an asshole, but he seems like an asshole who cares. You make great points. I'll I'll just say this. 
with Carson Wentz, and I'm a Carson Wentz guy, he gets injured. And whether it's his fault or it's not his fault or it's unlucky, he gets hit in the head with Jadavion Clowney in the playoffs. Is it cheap? Is it not? He gets injured, and he has been consistently injured. And I love Carson Wentz. With Jimmy Butler, whether it's his fault, whether it's his player's fault, whether it's the organization's fault, he's consistently in trouble. And he is constantly getting himself in the media. In And there's so much noise surrounding him. So no matter what the case is, there's plenty of other players in the NBA who have some sort of... I don't know, problems with what's going down with their specific team, but they don't get brought up like this, and they don't have this noise surrounding them all the time. So it is something to be said about, no matter whose fault it is, it's constantly happening with him. Yeah, yeah, no. I can't even argue that, bro. It's 100% true. It's like, I don't care if it was you or it was not. At the end of the day, shit keeps happening around you. So at the, we got to look at the common denominator. And it's so funny that he ended up in Miami because that's the perfect place. Miami seems to be this, like, like this refugee for just like if you're troubled in the NBA, come to Miami. Like that seems to be paralyzed. It's like, like Andy. Pitch. It's it's almost like Andy Reid right now. Andy Reid, but well, a little a little different because we're now talking about maybe criminals. Maybe this is a terrible <laughs> example, but you get my point. He might be able to get you going again and find yourself in the NFL. Exactly. Exactly. They seem to recruit those type of guys and. I wish Jimmy the best. I wish he was still in the Sixers jersey, you know. Um, but at the same time, you can't negate the fact. I, I, you're, you're right, bro. He's rather he's you know the reason it happens, or he's the thing that sparks it off, or he's the thing that pushes people over the edge. Whatever it may be, shit goes down. You're around, and after a while, we gotta admit it's probably you, bro. Yeah, and and here's the one quote that that stands out to me as well and and this is where I look at the organization and it's not like there was this moment where I believe the organization was outstanding and not flawed the more the time goes on right now I think it it's even getting worse all the time it's getting worse and worse and I don't believe in the partnership up top I don't believe in the people who are all the way up top I don't know if they're in it with this passion that they should be and listen it's not like owners Owners try and make money. I get all that part of it. It's a business to them. I just feel from a structure standpoint, I'm not a huge fan at what's going on all the way at the top. So Jimmy asked JJ if he thinks he's hard to work with because somebody told him a a main reason why he is not back in the Sixers uniform is somebody asked, can you control Jimmy? Now, who that was between, we don't know. Was that Elton Brand to Brett Brown? Was that Brett Brown to Elton Brand? Was that Joshua Harris? Was that a player in the locker room? We have no clue who it was. But to hear that the question was asked, can you control this man? That lit a fire under Jimmy saying, I'm 30 years old. What do you mean control me? I'm not a guy who's going to be out going crazy. I'm not doing outrageous stuff, which I agree. In terms of outside of basketball, he's not robbing banks or, you know, getting into trouble with alcohol or anything like that, drugs. No, he's he's a passionate guy about basketball. So I will agree with him that he's not some ridiculous guy. He might have an attitude and a swagger about him that is a little bit controlling at times. But to ask the question and to let it get back to Jimmy Butler, if it happened behind closed doors, I think I can understand it. But for it to get back to him at some point, that's a little ridiculous. And I can see why that would frustrate Jimmy. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. As a as a player, eh, I don't I don't want to bring in the whole race thing because obviously some people painted the story like you know, that's, that's a, as a black man. But it's just like, let's call it what it is. If someone says, can they control you? And you're already somebody, 
I'm this way. I have issues with authority. So if I overheard someone saying, can you control D-Ray? It's just like, you're going to take a moment and just like, hold on, what? That alone probably tipped him over the edge. Like he said, but I, I think at that point, if that question is being raised, it's probably already over. If you have to ask whoever was asked, because obviously this is not a conversation happening between the trainers. And no, you can't do what you do without the trainers, but this is obviously a question, you know, between administrative bodies. If one of them is asking another one, can you control him? It's so much a question at that point. You, you can't have it. And I think that's why the Sixers made the decision they did or Jim made the decision he did or whoever really made the decision because this shit low-key sounds like a high school breakup. Like you don't know who broke up with who. It's like, oh, it was a mutual decision. It's like, get the hell out of here. You got dumped. You know what I mean? We don't know. We don't know what happened behind closed doors to really make it blow up. But those type of things in an organization as fragile as the Sixers are right now, as we saw, it's no space for it. You mentioned the high school relationship thing. That kind of defends my point on what I was saying about this to begin with. These two are bickering. The the two the two not famous kids in high school, but popular. You got the two popular kids in high school going on MySpace and doing some stuff. That's what they're doing. They're poking the bear and they're doing it on purpose. And that's why, you know, to some degree, I get it. I, I'm not taking Jimmy's words by the Bible. And I'm also not saying none of it matters. I, I think that there is a lot of issues that I can take out of what Jimmy Butler said when you hear that there's too many voices involved that's concerning and I don't know what's worse let me lay this out for you what's worse if there were too many voices in the locker room in terms of players or too many voices from management 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 for sure at the end of the day there could be a bunch of voices in the locker room and all it takes is one bad incident here or one bad incident there or a losing streak and a lot of people are going to shut the hell up because at that point they realize that they don't have the answers and either you're going to shut up or everyone else is going to realize that you're a guy and not listen to anymore. So too many voices in the locker room. That's one thing, but that problem usually, you know, uh, works itself out. But if you have guys who are in charge of lineups in charge of salaries in charge of the bigger decisions, quite frankly, more than oh which shot to take or not yeah that's a that's a huge issue and i think that's he was coming at i got a question for you bro do you because like it's funny you said like the the high school kids kind of just poking the bear and sparking things up and i was very interested by this and he did it on purpose but there's a part where jimmy's going on and on like i am now sorry and he says he says miami i love it because they're competitors and we're here to win we're here to win this year Forget about two, three years out. We can't control that. All I can do is show up, be the best person that I can be today. And we're here to win today. Do you think he was kind of alluding at the fact that the Sixers ain't really done with the process? And that was his issue? What I took about that, and, and I believe he also stated something about how it doesn't matter if you're a max guy or you're on a 10-day contract. You're running those sprints the first day. You're doing all the dirty work. It doesn't matter. And I, I tie that in a little bit to what you were saying when it comes to the way that Miami is ran. Maybe, you know, you have Joel and B. This is what I take out of what he was saying about Miami and comparing it to the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel and B shows up day one. Maybe he does rehab. Maybe he doesn't work out. Maybe he doesn't run the sprints. You know, and and that's the difference in the competitive nature where in Miami, if Embiid was there, he's going to be running the sprints day one. He's going to be ready to rock and roll from day one. It seems like the superstars in 
in Philly, which is Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, might have a little bit more of a longer leash. And what that sets up from a culture standpoint is they kind of run the show. But don't you think if that is the case, and and I, I believe that is, that's how I see it. Isn't that the NBA, though? Don't the stars run the league anyway? There's only so much a coach can really do. Once you have that, that I don't know, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? If you're a coach who has won and people believe in you and people trust in what you say, we talked about this before. There's a handful of guys. Greg Popovich, yeah. and you got what you have going on in Miami, and there's a few. Doc Rivers is a guy. But outside of that, these players do run the show. Okay, Jimmy's a perfect example. Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau, right? (laughs) I mean, listen, that doesn't work. You can't just have a coach who's going to start sitting guys consistently and be this mean dude. It's just a different type of league now with the type of players that are being grown up with society. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's fair. They actually talked about that, like younger guys kind of coming in. But... I will say I'm for the way Miami ran it. I, I would I'm very interested to see because you're right. That is the way the league runs um, itself. Quite frankly, these higher profile players they call a lot of the shots. I think the point that he's making, and I can speak to this because this was something that was drilled in me at Villanova, like what Coach Wright. You got to be odd to be number one. You got to be different. You can't keep doing what everybody, you can't look at what everybody else is doing and say, all right, you know, they're doing this, they're doing that. And I think his point is, imagine if you took, maybe this isn't his point. Maybe I'm just being optimistic. Imagine if you took that attitude they had in Miami and applied it to the talent you have in Philly. Let me, let me say this. With all due respect to Jimmy Butler, he's a dog. He's a great guy on, on the court. He's a dog. We enjoy watching him play. What the fuck has he won? I mean, really, seriously, though, you we talk about that's a winning culture. We talk about what he personally likes, the attitude that he enjoys from his teammate standpoint, the, the, the culture from the head coach and the GM. He talks about it all the time, what type of guy he is and what he loves. What does he want? He hasn't won shit. And I'll also say this. What type of guy with that killer instinct? You're a Kobe guy. What type of guy talks about being that guy? Oh, I've been up since 2 a.m. in the gym. I, I'm this dog. I'm this alpha. Jimmy talks about it. He is. Don't get me wrong. He is to an extent, but he talks about it a lot, too. And those killers, those real killers, they don't talk about it. It just happens. It is what it is. And Kobe was the perfect example of that. Yeah, nah. You got to beat on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go, right? One. I knew Kobe. All I had to do one. was bring up Kobe. Like, hey, man, let me do this because I'm going to sucker him into this bad boy. I had the rope. I tied you around. I started pulling you in once I mentioned Kobe. But it is the truth. Yeah. It's the truth. It's the truth. Real, a real killer ain't going to like, I remember it was this movie, um, one of my favorite movies, the guy from Boston, Johnny Depp plays. And the movie's called Black Mass. The party's going back and forth with a cop. And the cop says, are you threatening me? He says, the last thing I'm doing if I was about to hurt you was warn you about it. That's a killer mentality. I ain't about to tell you. I'm not about to let you prep yourself for what I'm about to do. So you're right. If you are about that, what's the point of talking about it? And we do agree, though. We both agree that he does have more of a, you know, that type of mentality. It's not like he doesn't at all. But when you talk about it like you do, and you talk about what this is and that is, and and it's talk, 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 talk. It takes away from it. Especially without winning anything. Now, if he had three championships, 
well, all right, I, I think you can at least deal with it more because he's backing it up with actually winning something. But he hasn't won a damn thing in this league. He literally hasn't won a damn thing. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. It's, it's, uh, whew, it sure is something. And <laughs> it, I, I just find it all comical and ironic because I, I do stand on the side of, yeah, I get it. But at the same time, nah, dude, you, you're, you're not the man. But you ask me who I'd rather have right now on the Sixers, it's definitely him. It's definitely him. I went back and watched the last few minutes. I can't believe I did this. I watched the last few minutes of that Game 7 against Toronto, and I was looking at what went wrong. And the dribble, you know what bothers me a little bit? And I I, I am not a bread hater, but that dribble handoff, man, you, you can't live and die with the dribble handoff as much as we did. And I thought that really hurt the Sixers, especially kind of late during that seven games. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the scheme towards the end. And at one point, it kind of looked like it was just like, just get the ball to Jimmy. Just get the oh, ball to was. Jimmy. It, it was Ben going yeah. the dunker spot. You're you, But at the same time, if Ben is an issue in the half court, what are you supposed to do as a coach? You can't take him out of... You are not taking Ben Simmons out of the game in Game 7 because he's not effective in the half court when your options were... Um, Amir Johnson, right? I mean, this was the bench. James Ennis, you had nobody on the team last year with the bench depth. You can't do it. So you have no other alternative other than get the ball to Jimmy and get Ben off the ball because he was crushing you. Yeah, yeah. And that point right there is why I don't put all the uh, blame on Brett Brown. That is why I feel like Brett Brown can't eat. At the end of the day, that's Ben Simmons' problem. That's Ben Simmons as a teammate. You're holding us back. Your inability to operate in the half court is holding the team back. And that's why I don't think it's fair to just say, get rid of Brett Brown. You know, he's the worst guy ever. He's not. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's just like, bro, I, I, I'm playing the cards I was dealt. And one of those cards, when it crosses over half court, ain't as effective. Well, the, the haters will claim that that is Brett's problem. It's his fault that he can't get Ben Simmons to shoot. He needs to sit him so he will then shoot the basketball. And this was the one I can't stand. Well, don't you remember once he made that three, Brett said he wants so many three-pointers a night, and he wants to see him taking it consistently, and Ben didn't. So it's Brett's fault that he didn't do it. Come on. I mean, can't we use common sense that if if Brett Brown didn't say that, he still wasn't shooting? He wasn't going to shoot it. It's just Ben's fault, and it's Ben's issue that he's not shooting the damn basketball. This is this is my attitude with this, this Ben Simmons shit. And maybe I'm speaking from a, a player's standpoint, but Ben Simmons is obviously not comfortable enough with shooting that three-point shot. He made it. It was great. It produced weeks, maybe months of great content and a conversation to be had about him shooting that. But obviously, he's not comfortable enough doing it. He literally does every other thing on the damn court except shoot three-pointers. And this is probably why. If he's not comfortable with it and he starts chucking them up and he starts missing them and that messes with his confidence, now the rest of his game is in question. Not only does his play go down and his stock go down, his dollars go down, it just doesn't make sense for a player to do something. I think Ben Simmons is the epitome of a player, a young player at this, and this is not acknowledged enough, who understands this is what I do, this is what I'm good at, and this is what I'm going to maximize. And if you don't like it or you want more from me, Find somebody else who can do that to supplement my skills because I do so many other things besides the damn shot. For somebody to put that shit on, it's like, how? 
Like I said, you got a hundred. Here goes your five. Tell the guy with a hundred what to do. I want you to shoot. When the fuck has he ever shot? You know what I mean? Like it just came out of high school. It's like, bro, we all shot. Everybody did everything in high school. Everybody thought it was LeBron in high school. And as it went up, you saw more and more time pass. He was like, I'm not comfortable with it. Let him get comfortable with it. Find somebody else to, to supplement it. That's why we had a JJ Ray. That's why you get a Tobias Harris. So who can supplement that? All right, you might not be able to do everything else Ben can do, but if we need a three-pointer, Ben ain't the guy. Can you argue that he is more comfortable with that? corner three than he is this is the one thing that I, I think he needs to to do it's we need to run pick and roll with him and he needs to be able to hit a jump shot from the free throw line have Joel oh. Embiid set a pick he can come around the pick and shoot a mid-range jumper but I would argue that he might be more comfortable with that outside three for some reason just the corner three than a mid-range J from the free throw line that needs to change but once again that is solely on him it's him these are professional athletes and i don't feel i feel like people don't understand that aau little billy is totally different when you have the head coach who's the dad sitting him and telling him what to do compared to professional athletes who have a different wired mind these are pro athletes they don't need to be told what to do they have the, the reason why they're there is because they have the desire and the dedication to work their fucking asses off to put themselves in that position so from there it's them to continue that thank you (laughs) thank you no it's 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 definitely true though the pro athletes it's a different mindset and fans kind of relate it to what they did in little league and what they did when they played a little bit of travel basketball a little bit of aau ball which it doesn't relate at all once you talk about the money that's involved how much they get paid and all these sponsorships and commercials and everything it is not the same and when it comes to development of players coaches have an impact there's no doubt about it you can look at spolster and what happened with josh richardson a second round pick they help develop guys but if josh Richardson didn't have the right mentality to grow as a player well he wouldn't no matter what Spolstra did Josh Richardson wouldn't have been the player that he became exactly exactly just to circle back I gotta say I do agree with you that elbow jumper if you can make a free throw you can make an elbow jumper no can, can he make the free throw he started to at the end of this stuff that happened I always want to say at the end of the season it's not the end of the season at the end of where the NBA left off, I guess. He started to knock them down more consistently, but on the season, he was somewhere around 60% or so. During that clip, I believe it was more towards the 70s when you look at a smaller window, but spitballing off the top of my head, it's somewhere around that 60%. So you said if you can make a free throw, he can make that mid-range dumper. Can he make that free throw? And then once again, that's on him to develop that free throw. Don't develop a free throw. You just have confidence. But let me ask you this. As a guy who has played a lot of basketball, when you look at his form, and I do believe that there are people out there with some ugly-ass forms, and they still work, right? I mean, Noah. Think about Noah. Come on with that. What is that thing? Whatever. Uh, um, oh, man. Who was it on the Mavericks? Uh, it wasn't, was it Sean Marion? Sean Marion. Oh, man. What the hell was that? Ben doesn't have anything to that <laughs> level, but when you look at his elbow, like, do you see anything from your standpoint that says, dude, what the hell are you doing? 
Yeah, no, he, he definitely he definitely has a weird shot. And I'm so sick of guys like being on the Sixers and all of a sudden developing these like hitches and shit and they shot. I don't know what their shooting coach is doing, but he definitely could use some technical work. But part of that is confidence. You know, part of that is just getting in the gym and just shooting. Like guys who say, I don't understand how guys don't make free throws. It's literally just your job to go in and practice basketball. I don't think that's completely fair, but it's damn close, bro. If you do anything, because like you just said, you look at a Sean Marion, and quite frankly, none of the best, if you watch Reggie Miller's form, you watch Steph Curry's form, you watch Real form, they don't have the traditional shot. The difference is the confidence and the fact they just going to do that shit till it feels natural. Something that came into my head when you mentioned the free throws, and now I'm just kind of intrigued by your side of basketball. When, when there's thousands of people screaming in your face, because I'll be honest with you, when I'm knocking down my free throws in my driveway, I'm all money. I, I don't miss. I'm locked in. I'm ready to rock and roll. But when there's so many people screaming at you, did you personally feel that? Or is it just part of being a basketball player? Because I never played legitimate, organized, real basketball. Because hockey was always in the winter, and I couldn't do both. I've, I've been a pickup ball guy my whole life, <laughs> being a scrapper. So I never experienced a real crowd going crazy. Is it just natural to block it the hell out, and it just it, it's just natural mu- um, muscle memory? Yeah, yeah. You make it to a certain point. It's just you're not even thinking about it. It's it's you've been there enough times at the end of the day, you get to a point as a player, and I'm pretty sure hockey players understand this. I'm pretty sure any sports understand this. At the end of the day, you're the man in the arena. The people on the outside don't work. Don't but it's don't. it's different for basketball because I feel when you're when I go on the ice and then there's thousands of people or whatever screaming at you, you're in an atmosphere where you're locked away on the ice, the glass is separating you from the fans. When you're in a Big East tournament and there's people on the floor and there's crazy fans in the background like waving all these Wendy signs and they're right there in your face. How do you not? Do you ever like hear one specific guy who says something stupid that makes you laugh in your head and you play it off that you didn't hear it? I mean, you can't tell me that these people don't have an impact at all when you're at the free throw. I, I find it so hard to believe. <laughs> I mean, they do, but if anything, if you're a real competitor, you relish in the idea of shutting them up. You, you kind of like the idea of, I'm going to make this shit. Now I really have to make it just so I can walk past them at halftime or at the end of the game and give them a smirk or give them a look. Or not even say anything, but they know that that shit didn't work. Was there a moment where uh, that stands out to you, where maybe you missed a free throw <laughs> at the end of a game or something that really bothers you? Or is there nothing that comes to mind? Like Not to, not to put you down here as we end no. this podcast, because you know nobody wants that feeling. No, 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 no. For me, um, I've had some bad. Ho- I've had some bad hockey moments. I'll share with you too. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. For uh, me, as I, I like it. I like it. I remember I was actually just doing a call yesterday with the guy from Old Marion, and there was a game that it was in the state finals, and for us to go on overtime, I had to make two free throws, and I made them. And like for me, it's like. I like the idea of taking that from y'all. I like the idea that that crowd's going to be like, man, I was yelling everything at that kid. So I, I got to be honest. Thank God my career ended with, with none of those moments of being like, you let the whole team down. <laughs> Not saying I never missed a free throw, but when them Jones like matter like that, hell yeah, I got to make these. Yeah, no, that's awesome. No doubt about it. So with that being said, I, I think this is where we're going to end this podcast. Episode two is now in the books and we had over 1,000 listens in our first episode in the first 24 hours so we appreciate all the love and support this has been awesome and i can't wait to continue putting these out on mondays and thursday mornings because it seems like everybody is very interested and intrigued in listening to them 
My man, my man, me and you both. And just imagine when we actually have Sixers basketball to talk I about. I know, right? That's the thing. There's no, we're, Right now, we're trust me, with this team, there is plenty that we will be able to talk about because it's it's nuts. It's an emotional yeah. roller coaster. So we will have a bunch of different topics for you throughout this tough time of the coronavirus. So thank you guys all so much for listening, and we will see you next time.